0: with sati firmly established within the sphere the sphere of our bodies our restless thinking and conjuring will diminish and the mind will be at peace this is samadhi when the mind is quiet we will clearly know what it's like not to have any mental impressions of, impressions or hindrances disturbing it the mind is bright and clear when thoughts come into the mind we will know With distilled mind, we can investigate and know all mental impressions, all nama and rupa, all mind and matter, before us as anicca, dukkha, and anatta, impermanent, suffering, and not self. Then the mind will step away from them all, including the body. This body is merely a body, not a person, me, mine, or them. This knowledge arises from the one who knows and it doesn't hold onto anything as mine. This is a mind totally still and free. Although there might be some sense impingement and thoughts passing through, the mind will continue to be still because it has stepped out of the way of these mind objects. When we know how to step away from them, then we will truly understand what a quiet mind is like and what a disturbed mind is like. Sometimes we will notice and even when there is thinking a movement in the mind or even when we speak, it stays still. Lumpur Chah would explain it in this simile. If it's taken to this level, it's the same as water. Flowing water we all know, still water we all know. But what is still flowing water like? Have you ever seen still flowing water? This is the Sapavacitta, the mind in its natural state. It has stillness there and all the moods are just flowing by. But the mind doesn't move. They are two separate things. The mental objects are just the mental objects and the mind is just the mind. They exist separately. The whole reason we practice meditation is to firstly make the mind settle down down and step away from these mental objects. We then do the investigation. Separating the mind from the body. The mind will then turn away and be free from clinging to Nama or Rupa, even if, it's a, even if it's only a temporary suppression. This is the path that leads to Panya, wisdom. The one who is walking this path walks the path of Sotapati Maga. This is the path of the Sotapanna. When we practice in the way of Sila, samadhi and vanya, we will notice that the way of practicing samadhi is much harder than, ma- than merely maintaining sila. <coughs> this is because we have to abandon all moods that give rise to liking and disliking, anger, ill will, proliferation, agitation, restlessness, doubt and worry. It can be compared to the body. If the body has five kinds of sicknesses, It won't find any ease at all and will give rise to discomfort. These five sicknesses become the centre of our attention because we can't find any comfort or ease in the midst of the painful feelings throughout. But as time passes, each one of the sicknesses passes away, one by one, and we begin to feel better as we become free of each. Then the body starts to feel at ease. It's the same as this mind. The nirvana are like the five sicknesses but afflicting the mind. Whenever one of the hindrances comes up it it stops us from experiencing peace and drives us into all sorts of liking and disliking, drowsiness, restlessness or doubting. Then all we feel is unrest and agitation that leads to doubts about the way of practice. Sometimes Lung Pu Cha would talk about these doubts and worries in his Dharma talks. He would teach that these doubts come for us to investigate to watch them arise, stay for a while and then pass away There is no real abiding self, being, me or us in them In the course of practice, doubt will arise in many different disguises The question may arise that if I don't have any doubts at all how am I going to be absolutely certain that I am following the correct mode of practice? Then we start doubting about our doubts. They will wear on us, grinding us down until we start believing and taking these doubts on. Soon we don't know the way to find any peace at all and the mind falls further into this darkness of confusion. The way to cross over this flood of doubts is to firmly keep to the parikamo within the heart at all times. Like using putto, a heart infused with putto will always be at peace or we may even keep the recollection of death constantly When the mind is calm, desire, anger, delusion, doubts and restlessness aren't anywhere to be found, there is only silence Then we will know that keeping our parikarma always in mind is the correct and direct path of practice If we keep our meditation subject firmly within our minds at all times when we have the opportunity to meditate, the mind will gather easily. We will feel a tranquility that we have never experienced before. Because of the sustained samadhi, our minds will have radiance and peace within. A mind that is in this state of quietude will have continuous sati stemming from it. When we investigate the sankharas, particularly rupa sankharas this bodily form or any other external forms in the physical world. We will see that the elements that make up this body exist just as they are. The body is just elements here in their natural state living according to nature. It's only the mind that conjures conjures up and builds these forms to be something. For instance, we can build up some material object and give it a label, but in reality it's only the four elements that have temporarily come together. They never came up to proclaim that I am earth, I am fire, I am air, or I am water or even to say that I am attractive or unattractive. These concepts are only within our minds. When our eyes, ears and so forth come in contact with sensory objects it gives rise to to these assorted feelings. When we investigate with Vanya we will understand this mental act of labelling and how we impose reality on the outside world. This reality we experience is only conventions we humans have conjured up. We have built up and created so many of them down to their finest details and of various sorts. But when we throw all these conventions out and see the underlying reality, we will see that they are just anicca, not stable or lasting, dukkha and anatta, with no true entity behind them. When we contemplate in this way, we call this giving rise to panya, and it arises right here within our hearts. All of this comes from our practice of Pawana, which is mental development from a quiet and peaceful heart. We should work to maintain this solace every day. This is the food and sustenance for the heart. We have enough sustenance to maintain the body already. We have enough of the four requisites to support the needs of this body we have medicine to, to cure sicknesses and to prevent various sorts of diseases and relieve the ones that are already present. The four requisites are something quite important because they are what the body needs. If the body lacks any of the four requisites, it makes life very difficult. We have a hall to practice Poana, to sit meditation and to develop merit. Suppose we didn't have this hall, if it was raining or if the sun was beating down our bodies would experience painful feelings. And now that we have these four requisites for the body, we have to find a refuge for the heart. On some occasions, Lumpo would ask the monks, Do you know where the practice really lies or not? Do you know the real place of refuge for the heart already or not? Some monks would reply that they knew how to make their hearts calm and how to use samadhi to sem- temporarily suppress mental impressions and moods. But they still didn't know how to let go and be completely free of these mental, of these impressions and moods. We have to really practice and develop our heart. We have to firmly, firmly establish an inner refuge within ourselves. This isn't something beyond the scope of what humans can do. We have already put forth a lot of effort patience and endurance in our various work and duties. So, now we have to do the same with our, with our Pohanar to sustain and succeed in this task we have put before ourselves. We have to endure many ups and downs travelling on the path of Pohanar to develop enough Sati to supervise and control our mental fluctuations. Even if we only progress a little, this is still the path of the Arya Maga Jnana, the noble way for a heart to destroy its main enemy, namely Dukkha. I ask everyone to press forward in this way of practice. When we have an eye that is functional, a visual object, and light, a sense of sight will arise. The visual object contacts the sense base and sends the impression straight to the heart. Similarly, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching and mental cognition arise differing only in the sense organ and the corresponding object being sensed If this sense impression comes about in at the eye it's called Chaku, chaku For the ear it's Sota Vinyan The nose, Kana Vinyan The tongue, Jiwa Vinyan The body, Kaya vinyan. And the mind, Mano vinyan. All the six kinds of winyana which is consciousness are of the same characteristics, they come about, persist, and pass away. But this whole process occurs very quickly. When the mind grasps at vinyana, we have the feeling that I am seeing, or I am hearing. When we grasp when we grasp into the pleasurable and painful feelings that arise, this is Vedana. Then the mind forms ideas, which is sankara, and labels them, becoming sanya, which is memory and perception. This is how the nama Dharmas, or the mental aggregates, function together. It's normal for us to experience the world in this way. All of our sensory experiences function in this process and the more we grasp with them, the more the cycle of pleasure and pain arises. But the Buddha had us stop and investigate this process by separating out the khandhas and the elements with banya, we do this in order to see clearly that this heap of rupa is just comprised of the four great elements. It's sankatata, something that is formed together and is, and is in a constant state of fluctuation, but it still has to break down and pass away. As for this heap of nama aggregates, vedana, sanya, sankara and vinyan, they remain for an even shorter period than before they cease. We must arouse banya in the heart so that it won't go chasing after and carrying around all the things we experience as mine. It will temporarily leave all the mental impressions alone and not get involved in them. This gives rise to emptiness of self and just this is nirvana, a fire extinguished and now cool. This is cessation, the abandonment of the the longing and desire for all mental states, non-clinging, but if we yearn for nibbana and are constantly expecting it, then we will never realize nibbana. Lumpur-cha would always emphasize that we, had to, that we have to let everything go. The most important thing is to practice towards letting go. Although we may not let go of all rupa and nama 100%, because this is the level of the arahant, at least we will have some under- understanding and insight into the phenomena of rupa and nama Depending on the level of our, in, of our investigation, to a certain extent we can let go in the way we perceive the world. Our suffering will diminish because we are seeing accord- in accordance with the Satya dhamma. So why doesn't this wisdom come about regularly? It's because our strength and stability of samadhi isn't yet sufficient. Samadhi is an unshakableness of the heart. It is a heart that has stability on one object. Be it putto, tammo or sankho, the in and out breathing, or whatever we choose, samadhi will make the heart gather into stillness, even if only for a short instant, so as to give us the strength to investigate the physical form, the rupa. Can we see that it's unstable? Have we studied it enough to see clearly or not? This formation is just a natural condition that has the nature to fluctuate and change. There is nothing wrong or irregular with it. Actually, it can't, be any, it can't be any other way. Can we see this yet? This physical body has pain all through it as a normal condition, has constant change and instability as its nature, has old age as an inseparable part of it and eventually has to break down and disappear. It's just like this. We are born into this human realm and have a form again. It has to follow this process. Born like this in every realm, in every life it has to be like this. And it's not just like this for humans. Devataras, which are celestial beings, have sankaras as well. They have rupa-sankara, but it's called opatika, that is spontaneously born in a fine material form. Still, their bodies have to break apart, the same as ours. They can't just remain for time immemorial. Because they are also Sankata Tatatu, the conditioned element. But there is also another side of this, called Asankata Tatatu, the unconditioned element. That is Nibbana. Nibbana is reality. It is something that is here, but we can't locate it in any fixed place or direction. It isn't a destination on any conventional plane, because it's empty. It is emptiness that can't be measured in size. This state of emptiness has no defining place. It has no colour. But it's there. It's the truth. Right here. It's reality. Nibbana is the only thing that is ever really here because it's the only thing that is lasting and permanent. It doesn't change or fluctuate because it has no supporting conditions. It isn't any form of sankhara. It is Vi-sankara. But it's there. They exist together. When we have sankaras existing, Vi-sankara must also exist alongside. This is reality. When we put forth effort in Pawanā, the mind will gather into quietness. This is samādhi. We use it to investigate into this pile of sankara, this pile of rūpa and this pile of nāma. At the beginning we look directly at the rupa from the head hairs, body hairs, nails, teeth, skin and into this whole mass we call a body. Now where does this real essence come from? The real essence of the body comes from elements. The food that supports us initially starts out as the earth element. We can see this with trees. The tree absorbs the minerals and moisture from the earth. The sun supports the process of photosynthesis in the green leaves of the tree and through this the tree grows. Eventually it produces flowers and fruits. In the beginning the tree grows and flourishes and finally it produces flowers and fruits. This can provide food and a home to different kinds of animals. It becomes part of the food cycle supporting life. Humans rely on animals, plants and fruits to keep their life force going. It's a cycle that revolves around, it's all reliant on elements of earth, air, water and fire, providing this body with earth, air, water and fire, thereby facilitating its further growth. However, when we misunderstand this simple natural process and latch onto it, taking this heap of elements to be me or mine, we fail to acknowledge that in the end it will all just pass away. In the end, it will start to degenerate and change its form. When the breath comes to its end, the body will start to decompose. The different kinds of bacteria will begin to eat away at it and the body will change colour until the various elements decompose back to their respective elements, all following their natural course. Earth goes back to earth, water back to water, fire to fire and air to air. All the conditioning factors that have made up this form come to their end. So when we see that this body comes to its end like this, where is this me? In this past we took this body to be ourselves, but now where is this being? Where are all my things? Our parents, whom we call Mother and Father, when their breath has come to its end, where have they gone? The heap of elements have broken apart and scattered earth back to earth, water to water, fire to fire, and air to air. The truth is just like this but if we follow after all the worldly conventions there is still a me, a him, a them. They are still relations, brothers, sisters, husbands, wives, mothers and fathers, sons and daughters. In truth these things exist but are just conventions and if the heart can't see the truth then it will take on all these conventions as reality that they are actual and self-existent. The Buddha discovered the truth. He uncovered that what we consider as reality doesn't exist. It's all empty. There is only arising, existing and passing away. This is the reality of all phenomena. He saw the Satcha or the truth of things right down to its finest details. Dwelling in the bliss of liberation, he felt that it would be impossible for others to follow this path and to see its truths. He thought that because there is nothing more refined and exquisite than nirvana, it would be easier to remain quietly to oneself. Then the Brahma God, who had been closely connected to the Buddha, came and requested that the Buddha teach his truth, truth to others. The Buddha first thought of his two former teachers, Uddhakara Ramaputta and Alara Kalama. but both of them have passed away into formless realms where such beings lack sense bases, with, with, with which they might be able to perceive or hear the teachings. Then he thought of the Panchavagya, the five ascetics that had previously waited on him during his days of austere practice. He realised that they were capable of seeing the Dhamma. Venerable, Venerable Anyakonanda was the first to attain the Eye of Dhamma with the other four of the group shortly following. They all successfully reached Arahatship together. They were able to realize Nibbana because they saw that all Rupa and Nama are merely Anicca, Tukka and Anatta, that everything is ownerless. If we have Samadhi and use its strength to investigate, step by step we will be able to see, see that this body is neither beautiful or attractive. It's just elements. Have you seen a leaf? Imagine one. It starts out small as a green shoot, then gets greener and bigger. It then gets older, withers and eventually falls to the ground. All the green is gone and now it's just brown. This brown leaf gradually decomposes. Finally it changes back to earth. Our body is just the same as this leaf, the same as a tree, the bark, the heartwood. They all go through changing conditions in this sequence. When the life force is gone, it just decomposes and disappears. In the end, whether it's the hair of the head, hair of the body, nails, teeth or skin, they all follow their natural course of change. The color changes and they break up. The bones are the same. They go from white to brown. In the end, they just end up as the earth element, just as they were originally then the perception of bones or a body disappears and only the earth element remains. When we really pull it apart and analyse it as the earth element we find that it's just a huge mass of naturally existing elements that have fused together. If we break it down even further we see that they are just tiny molecules and elements. If we blow them apart we find that they are just energy but in the end they can be separated out until they aren't even there only a mass with no real abiding essence, a fusion of energy that eventually dissipates. It's the same with water, it's just hydrogen, hydrogen and oxygen that have come together. But if we pull these two apart, the water isn't there anymore. In the same way, what we call us and our bodies have no real essence as they will also break apart and disappear. The rupa-sankaras and the nama-sankaras that are dependent on causes and conditions simply arise, remain here for a while and then fade away. If the heart is calm in samadhi, when we investigate, we will be able to penetrate and see clearly. We can let go of the conventions of a being, person, I, us and them. But if the heart doesn't have this samadhi, then we will only see in terms of me and a self. So we have to develop the power of samadhi Investigating the body as elements is one method we can use. The dividing the body into four parts. Just like someone cutting up a cow into four parts. Get in there and investigate every part, bit by bit. The earth element is all the harder parts of the body. The liquid parts that have the characteristics of being fluid and soft is the water element. The air element is basically the breath. And the places where there is warmth is the fire element. All the four elements combine together to fulfil their purpose. Yet in the end, when they all break apart and disintegrate, we can't find any being, person, I, us, or them. So the feeling that we get that this body is ours, where does it come from? It comes from the mind itself, the mind-selling ignorance that latches onto everything. We ask ourselves, how come this body isn't mine? These painful feelings arise and I feel sore here, pain there. If I sit here long it hurts, it might even go numb. So how is it that this feeling isn't mine? Well, if these feelings are ours and we have labelled them as ours, before we came to sit here did we have these feelings? Of course not. We didn't have this pain or discomfort. As we have now come to sit here for a long time our circulation isn't moving around as much. So these painful feelings arise and these painful feelings, are they always here? Are they going to soon pass away or not? Of course they will disappear. These feelings are merely coming up, staying here for a while and then passing away. We can also question, are these feelings the mind? Are they the mind or just some, or just one part of it? We can see that they are just something that has arisen. They aren't here all the time. The mind remains, but where do now has arisen? Will be here for a while and then disappear. This is the nature of the Vedana Kanda. Still, our minds attach to these feelings and drag along all the suffering with it. We don't yet have enough strength. Our sati is weak. So we have to get in and practice. We have to get to the stage where sati and samadhi are firm. We have to sit meditation and do the practice until our hearts are calm, until they are still then we can move into investigation. Sometimes the heart is calm, sometimes it's not, but this is just normal. We have to keep pushing forward with patience, putting forth effort to develop our meditation. At the very least we have to keep sila, make merit, develop wholesome qualities and always keep in mind that this opportunity we now have as a human is so precious and rare. We already came into this life with a lot of merit because we have this form, the form of a human. This human form is a perfect vehicle for developing meditation, capable of knowing and seeing the Dhamma. If we have really seen the Dhamma, that is, we have seen Anicca, Dukkha and Anatha clearly. Then we see Nirvana, we see emptiness and know that it really exists. In the past we took this form to be ourselves, that this Atta, or Self, in the past we took this form to be ourselves that it it is Atta, but when we see the body as Anatta we see that it's all Anicca, dukkha and Anatta we will experience emptiness, we will realise that everything in the world is in essence empty, there are no real permanent entities only parts that have come together and have arisen depended on conditions. Anatta, The whole universe is totally empty. Its whole substance is emptiness. If our contemplation brings us to the point where we have insight into this emptiness, this shows that on one level we understand the true nature of existence. Although sometimes there will be happiness and suffering present, our sati will be there, right there with it. Lady Visakha experienced this state, the state of Sotapanna, as well, and understood that this that this was the nature of all phenomena, but didn't know it in all its entirety. There was still Upadana there. There was still some Upadana towards Rupa, still some towards Nama that remained. But the grosser Kilesas have been abandoned. Anger, delusion, and forms of liking and greed at the grosser levels have been diminished decisively. But the more refined kilesa hadn't been completely abandoned, there were still some there. We must continue with the practice, constantly investigating anicca, dukkha, anatta, anu until we can abandon these kilesas completely. Again, we have to strive to develop our samadhi and investigation of anicca, dukkha, anatta to the final level so as to abandon the most refined kilesas once and for all. At this point, birth and becoming will be extinguished. Once the grosser kilesas have been abandoned, with the ending of this life there is no chance of being reborn in the lower realms, the disastrous states of the hell or animal realms. We won't fall. We can only be reborn into human or heavenly realms. This is the state where the grosser kilesas have been abandoned but there is still some Upadana. We have to keep on probing. Sometimes there will be elation, other times depression. Simply take a look at it, it's normal for this to occur. When we have been born as humans and have come in contact with the sasana we are fortunate enough to have the teachings on the way that leads us out of this cycle of birth and death. We can follow this path of Tama that won't lead us further into the cycle of birth and death but will lead us instead to Nipana. We have to develop goodness dhāna, sila, samādhi and Panya constantly until we know the Dhamma, see the Dhamma and understand the Dhamma completely. Having restraint and using caution with regard to the ear, eye, nose, tongue, and body and mind, Lumpo Chā would emphasize that this is the mode of practice that is never wrong. This is the path that would lead to the seeing of Dhamma. We have to have sati to investigate at this point and watch the feelings that arise. Not letting ourselves wander off, but watching right in the present moment. Lumpur Cha would point this out very clearly. One day I was walking Gankama in the evening and I was wondering to myself, what's really the correct way of practice? What's the thing that will lead me to understand the Dhamma? I really want to know, this, know clearly this path of practice so I will be able to follow it with my wholehearted efforts, mindfulness and wisdom. That night, Lumpur Chah gave a explaining the ways of practice that is never wrong. He talked on restraint regarding the six indriyas, eye seeing form, ear hearing sounds, nose smelling odours, tongue tasting flavours, the body coming into contact with various sensations and the mind experiencing mental phenomena. He said not to be delighted or averse, We have to catch these various mental reactions. The way of not being caught into liking or disliking is the middle way. This is the direct path that will lead us to the understanding of Thamma. Practice in this way. Sometimes in the course of practice our minds haven't got enough strength. We are experiencing only a little peace and still having various doubts. But we have to keep putting forth effort in the way that we experience calm in the past. Using the kamatāna that we are proficient with we can use maranā no sati mindfulness of death anapanā sati asupā puttā no sati or the recollection of the Buddha or developing metta, loving kindness and the brahma-viharas These are what we need to pursue and develop pursue whichever kamatāna we are strong in the things that we aren't strong in sometimes we have to, we also have to do Suppose we are finding delight in form. Well, what are we going to do? We have to directly confront and pass through it by countering it with its opposite. See it as a subha. Keep mindfulness along with it at all times. If mindfulness is there continuously, it will carefully watch over the heart and keep it in check. Keeping our heart in a good state is really important. We must continuously watch over our hearts. Lumpur Cha would often emphasise this that the one that watches over his heart will escape from Mara's trap. So how do we see the Dhamma? He would say, we don't have to do too much. It's just like getting people to come and see what's inside this sala, or meditation hall. Once we find the technique to get them in here, they will see for themselves. He said to do whatever it takes to get the mind focused on the body. When you get it in here, the mind will see for itself, what it's like inside, what it's like outside, So find a method to keep sati right here at this point or simply watch the in and out breath. Right here is the path that will lead to the understanding and seeing of Dhamma. Walk this way, practice in this way, training sila, training samadhi, training panya, right here, this is how we will see clearly. Sometimes panya can arise through merely hearing or listening to the teachings. This understanding may penetrate clearly even up to the point of seeing through all conventions and experience a glimpse of liberation. If we have enough Barami and strength of mind this understanding can arise. But afterwards we still have to keep on with the practice, keep bringing the mind back to stillness again. This we can't let up on or stop. We need to use the power of Sati to keep the mind focused on all the different forms of Rupa and Nama, If we force it too much though, it will give rise to stress and agitation. It will feel like our sati has been shattered and the mind won't gather into peace. So we have to relax a little and come back to the present moment. Sometimes we overestimate ourselves and think we have developed enough banya and can see clearly. We think that nama and rupa are just the way we understand it. But we are just looking at nama and rupa with vipassana in the way that someone else has explained it. So it's really only our sannyā. It's something we have memorised. Nāma is like this. Rūpa is like that. Although we think that is true vipassanā, it isn't. Yet similar to a child, we have to learn like this first. Later, when we have the steadiness and stillness of samādhi there, this is when clear pāññā will arise, arising through pāvanā. We will see the heart clearly for the first time. Maybe we will experience either Nama or Rupa with an understanding that this isn't really mine, but this is only a small preliminary step. The power of Samadhi is still weak. The insight arises in a flash and it penetrates only for a moment. After that, it's like we have totally forgotten it. Because the power of our Samadhi isn't yet enough to really see clearly. Insight and clarity won't arise, and the panya arising from our vipassana will be hazy and clouded. This momentary clarity and insight we had is still a level of panya, but it has only come about through our hearing the teachings and pondering over them. We take these teachings, investigate and contemplate them, and experience a level of understanding. In this manner, panya develops the mind which begins to gather into samadhi. As we keep developing the power of our samadhi further, its strength will increase and our insight and understanding will arise anew. This is true Panya, Panya that comes from Pawanā. In the method of Panya developing samadhi, at the start we are still on the level of thinking, the activity of Vitakara and Vichara. We first rely on this faculty of thinking and then from here it proceeds to break into different levels of samadhi. If our parami isn't full, the clarity of understanding that we gain from our practice will deteriorate and if we don't hear the teachings it will disappear completely. But then when we hear them again, the clarity arises again. This is banya that is supported through hearing the teachings. If we ponder and consider these teachings on the level of sannyā, our clarity will increase and our minds will find a bit more stillness. What is this kind of stillness? The stillness that is here only for a moment is called kanika samadhi. There is some clarity, but only temporarily. Its power cannot be sustained and it disappears. If we investigate anew, it will arise anew. Maybe in a day we investigate 10, 20 times and some clarity arrives. And some clarity will briefly arise at those times. But this clarity can't compete with the further levels because it only rises through the power of our thinking. <coughs> But if we practice in the same way and our parami is fuller, we will enter the level of upachara samadhi. This samadhi is sustained for longer and its power is increased. From here we can enter into apana samadhi, where clarity is greatly increased. Sometimes we don't even have to investigate a lot, maybe only once a day. But with the power of this samadhi, there is energy to sustain the understanding for a long time. If there isn't this power there, then we have to investigate often, contemplate a lot. Through our investigation, karma arises for a moment, but it will disappear. Sometimes it happens that our mind gathers into the calm of Upachana samadhi while we are sitting, but when we open our eyes it instantly disappears. It's like we never had any samadhi to begin with, but this is normal. This samadhi is still at the stage where it increases and diminishes. It isn't firm and consistent. It doesn't remain for long, and various moods will often possess it. Though we are doing only a small amount of investigation, it is a good start as the mind has been carefully maintained up until this point. It has started to brighten and found somewhat of a refuge. Lumputar would say that Sakayaditi is like a hollow wicker ball, and our hearts are encircled tightly within. This ball has many layers. It has been woven with six or seven strands. When we investigate once, we have brightness and clarity arise. But once the power of our mindfulness and insight weakens, the nirvana overtakes us and and darkness enfolds us, upadana once again comes. Though when we investigate again, the brightness returns. When we talk about the brightness of the heart, it isn't a complete and enveloping brightness. It's still only partial. Perhaps just a small crack of light within our heart that appears just for an instant. But we have to keep at it, keep following this path that will cleanse and clean out our hearts. When we are investigating, practicing and thinking in this way, the investigation will start to yield some results. And step by step the mind will gradually get brighter, bit by bit, bit by bit. It's not completely bright because the power of our samadhi isn't full. So step by step, keep pursuing and preserving. Moving from momentary kanika samadhi to upachara samadhi, the mind will experience a radiance and brightness like never before. The, darknesses, the darkness of the hindrances that arise with the external sense contact will diminish. All the outer opinions will drop away and we will be left with just the inner experience of the mind. Once the mind has gathered into a state of calm and investigated the truth, it is capable of capable of destroying the Anusaya kilesa. This is the path of making the mind peaceful and then investigating the body. Lumpo cha would emphasize the importance of this. When the mind has attained calm, investigate the body from whatever level of calm we have. Do it this way, investigate all the Sankaras of this physical form in the light of anicca, dukkha, anatta. Going over them again and again, investigate in just this way. Lumpur laid down and stressed his foundation of practice. We all have great faith and respect for Lumpur already, certain that he reached the goal of arahatship. And what path did he teach? Just this path. He taught us to walk on this path. Our results depend on our accumulated bharami. Whether we proceed fast or slow, it's up to our bharami to determine the outcome. It's something we can't really control. Just like planting a tree, we water it, into the soil, add fertilizer and keep the incest away, that's our responsibility. The fruits that will appear are the responsibility of the tree. When the proper time comes the tree will give off flowers or fruit. Lumpur cha would speak like this regularly. We have to ward off the urge to want results quickly, to want to see the Dhamma right now, to achieve it fast. This is common for most meditators, but we have to do our best to avoid this. In the beginning I also wanted results quickly. I wanted to know which way to practice so I could it, obtain results quickly. Lumpur never said that there was any quicker way than this. He said to walk this path, to watch over the heart with sati, watch over our feelings right at this point, abandon thoughts of liking and disliking. How are we going to do this? Don't get elated and don't get aggravated. Do just as much. If we have liking and disliking, what are we going to do? This is where the practice really lies. If liking and disliking arises, and we can't just seem to fix these emotions ourselves, then we must return to the books that explain the way of practice. We must listen to Dharma tapes or talk with fellow practitioners to find some fresh ways and means to deal with these problems. But these are still only outer refuges because we don't yet clearly know how to con- contemplate to cure the mental darknesses and defiling emotions. The defilements are really stubborn. It's like having a glass filled with water but with scum around the rim. In the beginning, the water is clear and we can see the bottom, but later it gets covered over with scum. In the same way, if we don't develop banya, the scum and darkness of the defiling emotions will overtake and engulf us. When I was with my Kuba atam We would only hear a dharma talk once every 15 days. For a while after that the heart would be luminous, but by the 10th day all the darkness and stubborn defilements had returned. It's like we can't even see the path at all, it seems engulfed in darkness. So what do we do when we can't see the path? We might feel that sometimes we see the path clearly, but later on it gradually fades away because our strength is still weak. We depend on hearing the Dharma to encourage and stimulate ourselves to practice until we can understand the essential principles emphasized and can motivate ourselves. We have to stick with the kamatana we have chosen and do it a lot, investigate a lot, working right at this point, right at the point of the liking and disliking. Some people say that they find the practice of samadhi very difficult. We have to take a look at the kamatana being used. Maybe we can contemplate the body or use the core's reflections. We have to watch the mind, watching the arising and passing away of all the various emotions. Watch our vedana with sati. We have to have sati watching over the mind. This is the point where we need to focus to see clearly. We have to keep on guard. Sometimes when the mind is luminous and bright, we think we see it all totally clearly. Maybe we will think, Hey, now I'm Sotapanna. I've been watching over the mind and I'm free of central craving and there are only minimal thoughts arising. There are some centres where the students go to ask about their meditation and the teacher will approve, saying, the mind in this state has reached the level of Sakatagami. There are a lot of these places. There was once a layman who was practising in the forest tradition. When he meditated he couldn't get any peace at all. So he went and visited another teacher who taught, instructed and guided him in the practice. At first this man couldn't even sit still for one hour, but when he went and sat with this other teacher he could sit for six or seven hours, maybe even all night. After that this layman was pleased with the results and went to consult this teacher who declared that the layman had seen the dhamma. From then on he thought he was an arya Pukala. He couldn't restrain himself from boasting about it, Wherever he went, he would loudly broadcast, broadcast to others that he knew and saw that he had the Dharma firmly within his heart, but it was merely on the level of sanya Later this man, with the help of one of Lumpur Mun's disciples, was able to correct his view and back up his position. With a view that has become firmly ingrained, it's hard to straighten out. It's hard, but it's not beyond the scope, beyond the capacity of some teachers. This is the very reason Lumpur Chao would never answer any questions like this and say, This monk is at this level, this monk is at that level. He would never say that he would never say what level of attainment someone had achieved. He would always teach about these things with wisdom. He would say that it's Pachatang. One knows and experiences for oneself. Sometimes Lumpu Chao would teach using similes. Some monks would say, This monk is an arahant. he's this or he's that? He has no sexual craving, and he has no more wanting or liking for anything. Then they would go on ask on he would say, If a frog stays down in a hole for many months, does it make him an arahat? Is it really an arahat now? This is how he would answer, enabling us to contemplate and understand the matter clearly. It's wrong to jump to conclusions when special experiences arise from the practice, and we label and interpret them as an attainment of one level or another. This is the reason a lot of delusion arises. In some monasteries, there are many Sotapanas and sakatagamis, but as time passes, they all seem to disappear. We can see this in some places. But in our Wat Nong pa Pong lineage, those who have practiced well don't talk about levels of achievement, because those who have achieved know for themselves. They understand the various ways and methods of practice. Lumpo emphasizes this a lot. Sometimes you may think, "Oh, why is it that everyone around me seems so sure of themselves and so free of doubt? But I'm filled with them. It's because, though our wanting to see the Dhamma has come about through a lot of listening and studying, which is a form of wisdom, it causes us to expect certain results. It's a constant struggle that gives rise to restlessness. We want so much to achieve. Lumpur would say to put it aside for now. Just leave it alone at this point. It's like a glass filled with water. We have to pour the water out before we can put drinking water in. If the glass is filled with water already, the drinking water can't go in. It will overflow. In the same way, if we think we know everything, then the Dharma can't enter our hearts. So at first we need to reduce ditimana which is conceited opinion. This is really important in the way of practice Lumpo Lumpachar's style was to lead by example and, and to do as he taught. Sometimes we might be careless and think critically of him, letting our sense of self come up in the mind. But when we continue the practice we would admit, Who am I to criticise him? I can't even keep up with him. Maybe we have good samadhi. In those days when my samadhi was good, Bhirti would arise. I could get into Upachara samadhi my mind was cool and at ease. No mental disturbances would enter. Entering states of calm was really easy. I thought, there's no need to investigate the body, I'll just go straight to the mind. I didn't want to contemplate the body, I just wanted to go straight to the mind, straight to the Dhamma. So I went and saw Lumpur Chah. He quickly pointed out to me, Right now are you peaceful? Right then I was nervous and trembling because I was with Lumpucha. The peace the heart previously had before totally vanished, and I couldn't even pull myself together. I was flooded with delusion. Then this delusion answered that yes, I was calm, but all it was doing was taking the state I experienced one hour ago and using that as an answer. Looking back at it, looking back at it, I wasn't in the present moment at all. I just took a previous state and brought it up as an answer. But Cha knew that this was just delusion talking. He said to go back and keep investigating the body over and over. This really stuck in my mind. Keep investigating the body, right here in this physical mass of sankharas. Still I thought, hmm, why does keep having me investigate the body when my mind is so calm? All I want to do is delve into the mind. I wanted to fast track the nirvana. But later, the deeper levels of samādhi that I had been experienced subsided. That's how it goes, down, 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 until it's like we have no samādhi at all. We have to go back and carefully tend to the mind anew. We have to re-establish samādhi within the heart. And this is really hard. It's a real struggle. Step by step, inch by inch, contemplating death, walking kankama, sitting meditation, keeping the mind with the parikama as much as possible. Slowly but surely it gets better, step by step and when it gets better, it's better than before. There's more power and satipanya than there was before. Getting in and investigating the body as a suba, as filthy, seeing the body as more and more unattractive, the heart experiences greater levels of bhiti. As we see the unattractiveness of the body, the heart goes into deeper levels of happiness. The more we see the body as unattractive, the greater the peace becomes and functions back and forth like this. If in the past we saw this body as attractive, its outer appearance as beautiful, then the heart wasn't radiant, it was engulfed in darkness and overrun with telaces. But if we see the body as something not beautiful, then the heart becomes beautiful, it becomes bright and luminous because it sees the truth. It's as if the heart flips over and experiences true peace, it becomes calm and still. Investigate hair of the head, hair of the body, nails, teeth, skin When they are refined and broken down we can see them as elements Just elements, earth, water and fire Separate the whole mess out and analyse them as anatta If we pull them apart and see them as anatta Then the heart comes to peace Back and forth, back and forth Pursue it to the end and try and find a soul Separate all the elements and see them as they really are understand and know what these elements are like take a look inside where is the earth? where is the water? where is the fire? where is the air? really look closely in and out, back and forth, round and round split, divide and analyse them from the angle that they are just elements here's the earth, here's the water, here's the fire, here's the air investigate down inwards what's in this body? poke and prod at it right here pick it up and analyse one part Today just focus on the water element. What is the water element like in this body? Investigate just this one part. Is this water a person or self? Review and reflect upon it like this. Water is just water isn't it? Is the water outside a person or a self? So why is the water inside this body a person or a self then? How is that so? Is it really a being or a person? Investigate this thoroughly and clearly. Bile, phlegm, pus, blood, spit, grease, urine, Investigate them one by one, closely, back and forth, all through the water element until we see the whole mass joined together as anatta Our heart will become at ease, like a weight has been lifted, because we see the truth. We keep on investigating, looking looking at it over and over again, until we feel that, it, that its intensity has faded and become flat, until the investigation becomes stale. Then investigate another part of the water element, change it around often and bring it back to the start and go again, Investigate the earth elements as well, the hair of the head, hair of the body, nails, teeth and skin. What are they like? What does the earth element appear like? How does it change its appearance? In the end, what does it end up like? Where does it go and where does it come from? Why is it in this state now? In the past was it the same? Investigate back and forth, over and over, until it falls apart and is reduced to its original state. The food that we consume is just elements as well. How does it enhance and supplement us? Look at it. The earth has to earth, water adds to water, fire to fire and air to air. Investigate right at earth, water, fire and air. Right here. This mass of four elements over and over, in and out, right down to the finest details and then build them up again in fine detail. Do this for clear seeing and understanding. This is the wisdom that comes about through investigation. So as Samadhi, where is it out? If our investigation leads us to Kanika Samadhi, it still means we only have a little strength. But if we keep investigating in this way, bringing about more calm, it can lead us to apana Samadhi, where the mind really becomes still. When we come out of apana Samadhi, we don't have to teach or tell it what to do. The mind will stare straight at whatever arises, and whatever mental images it focuses on will be known clear, known immediately and clearly we will have full confidence in this knowing. At this stage we focus the still mind and point it at an object. For example, hair of the head. At this level we look straight at the hair of the head and bang! We will know clearly that it isn't ours. Knowledge arises with great clarity and the mind, that the mind and body are two totally separate phenomena. At this time the heart is about to transcend the world. It becomes a Titta. If through our investigation the mind goes into this state it becomes easier to further train and guide it. It depends on its own power, the power of the mind. If we keep progressing and, and see the mind with further clarity then it will move into its own level of stillness without prior prompting. We don't have to tell the mind to investigate, it will work on its own watching mental images arise and disappear by themselves, Asuba images appear by themselves, If the mind is really still, this is what will happen. We don't have to force the mind in order for it to investigate whatever sort of dharma theme. The calm mind will go straight to the correct theme. It will move into investigation on its own accord. It's like it's on autopilot, automatically investigating. This state will come about of its own accord. If we strive to put forth effort in this way, we keep ourselves awake and alert. But we have to notice if we are putting forth this effort and no calm is arising. We may even be close to proliferation, dharma proliferating. If we have been investigating but our minds haven't gathered into any calm, it's basically just proliferating in the way of dharma. We really have to be careful with this. If it's just dharma proliferation, we can give a discourse all night. We can preach our Dhamma from the start of the night right through to when the sun rises the next day. Some monks do it like this. They can speak and keep going on for 4, 5, 6 hours. But when their own moods and problems arise, they can't fix them at all. They can't correct their thinking because their Panya can't keep up with them. This is because it's only the Panya of memory, of our, of our own thinking. They can't keep up with their moods and when they can't keep up with these moods they become distressed. So we have to step back and take hold of the situation, bringing our mind back to whichever meditation object we use to attain calm. Sometimes we may think we should only investigate, but sometimes we have to rely on the calm that we attain from Samadhi practice. Anapanasati is a foundation stone of the meditation practice. We can count the breath in pairs, or use butto along with it, or simply watch the in and out breaths. We have to use whatever methods and skillful means we have to bring us calm and stillness. This is the way the Kuba Ajans taught and the way they instructed. They taught that when the eye sees form, ear hears sounds, nose smells, odors, tongue tastes flavours, body comes into contact with sensation, and the mind with mental objects, then to notice whatever arises. The objects that arise in the mind are called dhamma aramanas, thoughts and moods. Sometimes wholesome, sometimes unwholesome. The mind grasps these things as being mine and myself, but the Kuba Ajahn's solace. No, they're not yourself. Take this kind of thinking and throw it out. This thinking is, which is bound with clinging is Kilesa. We are just clinging to our own thoughts and sense of self and this gives rise to Kilesa. But just thinking isn't Kilesa. When we grasp it, that's a Kilesa. It's like the skin of a fruit. If we don't need it or can't use it, throw it out, like fish bones. What use are they? We only eat the meat, throw them out. The Kuba Ajahn's taught that these defiled thoughts and emotions are something to be thrown out, something with no inherent core or meaning. Their teachings are entirely for the purpose of letting them go.